I sort of feel like those guys ought to have a traveling bus out there, don't you? Selling 33 RPM records or something. Well, today we continue our study from the book of James. And when we came to James chapter 1, verse number 2, he said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, how is that possible? When we encounter trials in life, how is it possible for us to consider it all joy? And he tells us we do so because we understand that those trials of life are working endurance in us, and endurance brings about maturity, which is the goal of James. James has written this letter to believers saying, It is time for you to grow up. It is time for you to mature. So then we rejoice when trials come because they bring about endurance in us, and that brings us to maturity. In verse number 13, he uses the same word except it is translated tempted. Now, in verse number 2, it is a noun. In verse number 13, it is a verb. And the context within the which, in which the word is given gives it a different meaning. You see, in verse number 2, he is saying to us that those trials are designed to make us stand. Those trials are designed to mature us. But he warns us in verse number 13 concerning being tempted because their intent is that we stumble. So today we're going to look at trials and temptations. Take your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. We'll pick up where we left off last time in verse number 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Well, we begin this morning by considering the source of temptation. And the word trials there literally means a test, a trial, a proving of one's strength. But now here is the question for our consideration. Where do trials or temptations come from? What is the origin of evil? Where does it come from? That is one of the most difficult questions in all of theology, a question of the existence of evil. Now, I have studied it somewhat extensively, and be, to be candid with you, I have not reached a conclusion that is satisfying to me. It does seem to me that man normally tries to explain the existence of evil by blaming it on God. Now, that stretches all the way back to the explanation that was given in the Garden of Eden. You recall that God had put Adam and Eve in the garden and placed in the midst of it a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said to man, don't eat of it. If you do, you're going to die. Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord, and then the Lord encountered them and asked them why. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 12, Adam's explanation. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, 
she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Now, like any good husband, the first thing he did was to blame his wife. He said, the woman, it's her fault because she tempted me and I ate. But you'll notice there is this little phrase in that verse that says, whom thou gavest to be with me. What is he saying? He is saying, God, you're the one who put the woman here. Lord, the woman was the instrument of my temptation, but you're the one who put her here. And so, God, it is your fault. The woman didn't fare much better because the Scripture says in Genesis 3.13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So when she was called to account, she said, The serpent deceived me, and as a result I ate. I disobeyed you, but after all, who created the serpent? So again... She did the same thing that Adam did, and that was to blame evil on God. Man's, it seems to be that man's general response to evil is to blame God, and that has always been true. The writer of Ecclesiasticus blamed evil on Satan and says that God gave us into Satan's hand. In Ecclesiasticus, chapter 15, verse 14, God made man from the beginning, and he's speaking of God, and he delivered him into the hand of him who took him for a prey, speaking of Satan. He left him in the power of his will. So the author there says that God created Satan, and then he put us within the hand of the one he created. The book of Enoch has a little bit different twist on it. Barclay wrote, the book of Enoch has two theories. One is that the fallen angels are responsible for sin. The other is that man himself is responsible for it. And then some of the early rabbis in rabbinical writings simply blamed evil on God. One of the writings said, God said, it repents me that I created the evil tendency in man, for had I not done so, he would not have rebelled against me. I created the evil tendency. So all the way from the Garden of Eden, we have had the tendency to blame God for the existence of evil. For instance, with us, we say, well, the reason that I do these things is because of my heredity. Man is born with this sinful nature, and so it is the result of my heredity. But who gave me my heredity? God did. Or we say, well, it is my environment, but who put me in my environment? God did. Robert Burns reflects this in his poem, Thou knowest that thou hast formed me with passions wild and strong, and listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong. So, what is the source of evil? I think it is the general tendency of man to say that it comes from God. But James very clearly here is saying that God is not the source. In fact, if you look there again in verse number 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So James very clearly, very forcefully is saying that God is not the source of evil. 
Because he's holy. How can a holy God be responsible for unholiness? Habakkuk chapter 1 verse number 13 says, Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. John, 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, In him there is no darkness at all. So according to the scripture, evil could not come from God because God is holy. Evil would not come from God because God is loving. God would not tempt you to do evil because God is loving. Well, then, who is to blame? What is the source of evil? And as I've already said, I do not know the answer to that question. I have studied the question, but I do not have an answer that is satisfactory to me, probably not to you as well. I do know this. Satan tempts us to do wrong, but there is no sin in temptation. It is when we yield to the temptation that sin enters in. So man then decides whether or not he or she is going to yield to temptation, which is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve when they were tempted. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now then, God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. He said to man, do not eat of it, but then they chose to. And when they chose to, then sin came into the world. You and I are tempted. We are tempted with sin. We are tempted with evil. But we decide as to whether or not we are going to respond to the temptation. So that says to me then, sin somehow rests within the free will of man. Now, I, I cannot answer that in a definitive way. But somehow sin rests within the free will of man. Now we go to the seduction of temptation because James says that God does not tempt us. He is holy. He is loving. He does not tempt us to evil. But then he says that our yielding to sin is progressive. First of all, there is lust in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. The word lust for most of us is a negative word, but the truth is the word is either good or bad. It speaks of desire, whether those desires or are good desires or they are evil desires. It is simply a word that means desire. Now then, God gives us certain natural desires. We have the desire of hunger, and if we do not eat, then we starve to death. We have the desire for rest. And if we do not rest, then we wear out. We have a desire for sex. And if we did not, then we would become extinct. So when he uses the word lust, it simply means desire. James is talking about natural desires that have been perverted. And I believe basically that's what sin is. It is the desire that comes that are natural to us, and then they have been perverted. Now, using the examples that I just did, hunger is a good desire. We must eat or starve to death. 
But when it is perverted, we're guilty of gluttony. Rest. Rest is a natural desire. We must have rest, but when it is perverted, we become lazy. I uh, heard about a man who was home watching the football game on television, and his uh, wife shouted to him and said, Would you go out and see if it's raining? He yelled back at her and he said, Call the dog in, see if he's wet. Whenever this natural desire is perverted, then it becomes something else. Sex, it is a natural desire. And if we did not have that desire, we become extinct. But then when it is perverted, it becomes immorality. So James says then that temptation begins with desire that has been perverted, lust. And then he says we are enticed in verse number 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So Satan then entices us through these natural desires that they might become perverted. Now, the word itself gives us some insight. Lord Ogilvy said the word entice comes from the base to entrap. It means to allure or beguile. The word carried away refers to a hunter baiting a trap. A fisherman baiting a hook. And if there is no bait in the trap, the animal will not come in. If there is no bait on the hook, the fish will not bite. So he says then that Satan baits us. There are a lot of examples of that. For instance, we could ask the question, how did Lot get to Sodom? How did he end up going there? Well, the Bible says when he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan, he went. He didn't see the sin that was in Sodom. He saw instead the well-watered plains of Jordan because that was the bait. What about David? David was a man of God, a man after God's own heart. He was out walking on the rooftop one day and looked down and saw Bathsheba, and he desired her. Now, he didn't consider the consequences of his action. He only considered the pleasure, the bait. And Satan baits us as well to yield to temptation. And we are lured away by the bait without looking at the consequences. For instance, we become involved in dishonesty because we don't consider the consequences of our dishonesty. We are tempted to sexual immorality because we don't consider the consequences of our action. So he baits us. That's what James is saying, that we have these desires. They are natural. Satan wants to pervert those desires. And so he entices us by baiting us. And he says, and then there's conception in verse number 15. Then, when lust has conceived... It gives birth to sin. So Satan stirs our emotions, our desires through lust. Our intellect is deceived, and we are enticed by sin. And what happens? He says, sin is born. So then there is the lust, the desire that is there. He then baits the hook, and we yield to that, and then he says, sin is born. And what is the result of that? Death. Verse number 15. 
Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Folks, that is what Satan does not want you to see. The consequence of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. If you didn't listen to anything else today, I would sure like for you to listen to this. Because it's what Satan does not want you to see, and that is the consequence of sin. And the consequence of sin is death. Presently in this life, it's death. It kills innocence. We have all, I suppose to some degree, watched uh, girls who grew up as masketeers. And then they become involved in drugs and other things, and now someone else is in charge of their life. It's always sad to me when I see innocence die. I don't care who it is. But that's what sin does. It, it kills innocence. It kills ideals. One of the things I love about young people is that they are idealistic. And sometimes as adults we, we chasten them for their idealism. But don't you remember when you were idealistic? I hope you do. I think it's a wonderful thing. But then I can always tell when a young person who was so idealistic gets involved in sin because I see their idealism die. Now it's a focus on realism, not idealism. It kills the ideals. It kills the will. We begin, we become involved in sin because we choose to. We yield to the temptation. We choose to become involved in the sin. But then we find ourselves in a position that we have to continue in the sin because we cannot resist. And that's what he is saying here. That sin leads to death. There is death presently. There is death eternally if we continue in that sin. And that's the, that's the thing that Satan does not want you to see. He wants you to look at the bait. He wants you to be enticed by the pleasure. And so James is saying, what I want you to see is the consequence of your action, which is death. We can see this demonstrated in the steps of Adam and Eve. First of all, there was lust in Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its food, from its fruit and ate. So it began with lust, this desire. She wanted that that God had forbidden. There was simply this desire. And then the Bible says she was enticed. She was deceived by Satan and enticed by sin. Genesis 3.13 Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. If you go back and read that passage of Scripture where Satan is, is tempting her, he says, Well, you know, you will not die. She said, God said we would die. He said, You won't die. You won't die. And then Satan said to her, the reason God does not want you to eat of this is because he knows that you'll become like him. And she said, so I was deceived by Satan. And then there was conception. Lust gave birth to disobedience. She disobeyed the Lord. She did what God had forbidden. And then there was death as death entered into the world. 
There's the seduction of temptation, James says. There is lust, then we are enticed. There's conception, and then there's death. That is the consequence of sin. Thirdly, the solution to temptation, how do we overcome it? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, Paul wrote, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. First thing I think you need to be made aware of or reminded of is the fact that Temptation is common. It began there in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve were tempted to sin, and it has been with us ever since. Temptation is common. Sexual temptation. One can read through the Bible and find that there has always been sexual temptation. That was David. When David was tempted with Bathsheba, and you know how all of that turned out, the tragedy of it all, is she conceived and he was responsible for the death of her husband Uriah, a soldier of his, and so forth. But the temptation has always been there, sexual temptation. Some of you are going through sexual temptation with another person through the Internet. Various ways, but there is temptation that you deal with. It's common. There was a temptation of Ahab. Ahab wanted that that did not belong to him. He wanted Naboth's vineyard. And so he tried to buy it. Naboth wouldn't sell it. And so Ahab went to his wife Jezebel. He got in his bed and he began to pout because he didn't have what he wanted. And she said, I'll get it for you. And some of you are going through that temptation, a desire to have something you really ought not have. I want something that I really ought not have. That temptation is common. We see it throughout Scripture. Herod. Herod was tempted by a desire for acceptance. You know the story as to how Herod in the New Testament, uh, his, uh, his stepdaughter danced for him and pleased him. She pro- he promised her anything that she wanted, up to half the kingdom. Her mother had already programmed her, had already spoken to her. And so she said, well, I want John the Baptist's head. And the Bible says because of the guests that he had, because of the promise that he made, I don't think that he wanted to do that, but because of that, the Bible says that he yielded. The temptation to be accepted, the temptation to impress. And there are some of you facing that temptation today. You find yourself in a position that you are being tempted to do something you don't want to do, but you want someone else's approval. And that temptation has been with us. I, I just simply remind you that you're not exempt from temptation. And, and, uh, and I guess that's one of the areas where it's good to have a wife, because every time I get to the point where I think that I'm above it, my wife reminds me, take heed lest you fall. Temptation is common. It's common to all of us. And that's the first thing that you need to be reminded to overcome temptation. The second thing is that God is faithful. Paul said, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. 
but with the temptation will provide the way to escape. Now, here's what God says to you. Here's what he says to me concerning temptation. Regardless as to the temptation you're facing, this is what God promises. He'll give you the strength to endure it. He'll give you the strength to endure it. Or if it is too much to endure, he will make a way of escape. So that's the promise of God. He has said, regardless as to the temptation you're going through, temptation is common. When you face temptation, God will give you the strength to endure it. And if it's too great to endure, he'll make a way of escape. That's his promise. Lord Ogilvy said that he took his puppy to a to obedience school for eight weeks. And the trainer was training his puppy to be obedient. And he said, here's the lesson that I learned. That as long as the puppy and the trainer maintained eye contact, the puppy was oblivious to distraction. As long as you and I go through life with our eyes focused on Jesus and we maintain eye contact with him, as long as our focus is on him, he will give you the strength that you need to overcome temptation. You see, ladies and gentlemen, all of us face temptation. The consequence of temptation is death. So the way we overcome it is to focus on Jesus. And he gives us victory. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. As our heads are bowed, I do not know what temptation you might be facing today. But I, I just believe that there are some of you who are really struggling with some temptation to sin. I'm going to ask you right where you're seated if you'll take that to the Lord and ask the Lord to give you victory. Focus on Jesus. Ask Him to give you victory over temptation. Now, the best way of being consistently victorious is to be consistently obedient to the Lord. So we're going to extend an invitation, and I'll ask that you be obedient to the Lord. If you're here without Christ, then trust Him as Savior. God speaking to your heart about becoming a member of this church. Our doors are open to you. Be obedient in that. But whatever it is God's speaking to you about, be obedient. Our gracious Father, we come to this time of invitation and ask, Lord, that you have victory in our lives as we focus on Jesus and commit ourselves to your will. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation and the staff is going to be here. If you're without Christ, come and receive him. Come and join the church today. If you just want to come and pray, 
If God has spoken to your heart about that, then you come. As they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.